Good morning. How are you? Oh, you did answer. I was thinking as I said that you couldn't answer that question. Why was I thinking you couldn't answer that question? Well, you couldn't answer it, honestly. Um, well, no, you could, but anyway. Sorry. By the way, welcome to Warehouse. This little card right here is for you if you want any information at any point during the service. Just jot down what you want, and then you can drop it in the offering basket when they come around in a while, or the yellow boxes, which are by uh, both doors. Uh, today we are in week five of our series, The Power of Hope. The Power of Hope is walking through a letter in the New Testament called the letter of Colossians. That's it right there on the screen. That is the entirety of the letter of Colossians. We often call them books. They're not really books. They're letters. And what we're encouraging in the midst of this series is to read through the letter, say, three times. It takes less than an hour every time. And if you'd like some aid in doing that, we have a little pamphlet in the back table or the back kiosk, which in a... You know, that sort of pamphlet form, have the entirety of the letter for you to read through. Obviously, you can also read it online on your PDA or any, any other way that you would like. In this series, what we're exploring is, obviously, the power of hope. How there is a concept of, of hope that is provided for us as we follow Jesus that allows us to live proactively, powerfully in ways that we would not be able to otherwise. We're familiar with powerlessness and hopelessness, not nearly as familiar with the power of hope to change how we live our everyday lives. Today what we'll do is we move into this middle section, which is a new way to live. We're going to talk about how do we focus and live intentionally on what actually matters. And so obviously what I'm going to do now is I'm going to talk to you about bowling. I went bowling Friday night. I like to bowl. I do. Don't, don't judge me. I like to bowl. But this is, at this point in my life, I used to bowl when I was younger. Um, but at this point in my life, this is how bowling goes for me. The first game, I'm loosening up and trying to figure out where to throw the ball. And then by the second game, I'm bleeding and tired, which I, literally, my, hand, my thumb, is, I cut my thumb. And I got midway into the second game, and I told Nan, all right, my feet hurt, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts, and I'm bleeding. And so I never actually bowl well anymore. And one of the reasons is in bowling, to do it well, you have to hit the right spot. You have to find the spot in the lane you want to do. And I, I spend the entire first game trying to figure it out, trying to get the right spot so I can hit the pocket so all the pins go down, which is actually the point. By the time I think I'm about to figure it out, I'm too tired to hit that spot anymore. It doesn't really matter in bowling. Often how life feels for many of us, though, is that we spend so much time trying to figure out exactly what it is we're supposed to focus on and hit it, and then at some point we get tired enough, worn out enough, that we just start living scattered in undifferentiated lives. This morning, no pun intended, what I'm very hopeful of is that every one of us can walk out of here with a very clean sense of how to live intentionally focused lives that don't wear us out, they actually fuel us. As we begin exploring that, the band is going to play a song which walks through some of the dilemma that we often feel of trying to chase down things in our lifestyle and put them away that refuse to go away. Welcome to Warehouse.
Pontius Pilate is famous for asking Jesus this question as he tried him. What is truth? Eh, That's an okay question, but seriously, how do you answer that? The better question I'd like to pose this morning, with all due respect to Pontius Pilate, and that is, what is good? Academicians often define what good is in life as what we most seek to promote and protect. In other words, what is it that is core that we go after, that we value? It doesn't matter what we say, which is the interesting thing about the question, what is truth? That can often be theoretical. But what is it we actually most promote and protect in our lives? What drives us? What is it that fuels our actions and our pursuits? What is it that brings us joy and consequently also brings us despair? What is it that we most promote and protect? What's good? One of the things that is true about Christianity is that it redefines for us or perhaps simplifies and clarifies for us what good is and how we go about getting it. I think one of the reasons that oftentimes I think we get frustrated in our lives is because it's not only that we don't seem to be grasping or gaining the things that we want, but even when we do gain them, they don't seem to have the appeal, the power, the, the, uh, uh, the satisfaction we thought they would. And, and so that nailing down what is it that we're actually living for in our lives, not, not what somebody tells us we're supposed to do, not which something that um, covers some short-term need, but what actually that we focus on and live for that when all is said and done and when we hit it, even at times when we don't hit it, we have a true and clean sense of satisfaction because we have this sense that we've lived for what actually matters. This morning we're going to look at a passage in the book of Colossians. And in that passage, Paul is going to help us focus on what's good, and how you actually go about it, and the ground of hope to find it. One of the things I want you to see today, we're going to continue on from last week, which makes sense, but it will connect in, in this way. One of the things I said to you last week is that we, we, often, we often try to gain something in our lives that's already been gained and already won for us, and so we end up sort of frittering away our time. We are trying to prove that we're somehow okay with God, And so we continue to spend lots of time trying to achieve that, and it's already been achieved. Today, we're going to look at two other ways that we spend lots of time and lots of energy focusing on things that have already been done. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, this is what Paul says. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. And the passage starts out simply says, if you've been raised with Christ, it's, it's taking the, the assumption, if you've been raised with Christ, which means this, simply this, if you have embraced the gospel and you have connected your life to Christ, if that's true, If you have believed there is a God who loves you, who sent his son to die for you, if you have received that, if these things are true, 
then your life is now situated in a completely different place than it used to be. If that's true, your life is no longer defined by philosophies, traditions, patterns that you may have seen in your day-to-day life. It's now defined and situated in God's hands. And so it says, if you've been, if you've been raised with Christ, if this is true of you, then this is what I want you to do. I want you to focus. One of the things I struggle with in life is focus. And so one of the words I use throughout my days when I'm having trouble with something is simply say to myself, focus, because I can tend to get scattered. This passage, Paul does twice. He says, okay, keep seeking things above, keep thinking about things above. He says, focus. This is what I want you to do. I want you to focus your attention on where your life is actually found. Focus your attention where your life is actually found. There is a sense then when I say that, that Paul believes, as I do, that we often focus our life where it's not actually found. In two ways, Paul's going to lay out how we focus our life in places you will never find life at all. Two different sections. In the first one, this is what Paul says. Verse 5, put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. Sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Do you know why I read that that fast? Because that's how we normally read that. You sort of rip through these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so Christianity. Uh, no sexual immorality, which is bad. No evil desire, which seems obvious, right? And what's interesting, you know, how, you know how often we're going through these verses, and I'll pull up something, and I'll show you the definition of it. You know what it really is? You know what these words mean? They mean exactly what they say they mean. There's nothing tricky here. Seriously, there's nothing tricky. There's no words to pull out. It just is what it is. Put to death the things that belong to earth. Sexual morality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed. Stop doing those things. When I became a Christian, lo, that was many years ago, one of the things I realized was I needed to stop doing some things. But this is what I thought. This, at the core, is what I thought Christianity was. What Christianity was is, Jesus forgives me. Seems good. Now I stop doing some things. And the list grew over time. At first, it, you know, it was like starting in the middle of, beginning of a course. I, I didn't know all the things that I wasn't supposed to do. And as the years go by, the list grows more and more. And so we look at this list as a list of things, almost like we've got to check off. Okay, this is what I need to do. No more sexual immorality. Check. No more impurity. Check. You all got this taken care of, right? No more greed. You never try to get something that is not yours or want something more. You never live in your life where what you have isn't enough. Sexual morality, we're beyond that, right? We are, after all, in a church in the southeast, and so sexual morality has no part in us. Impurity, no, completely clean. This is where Christianity becomes very defeating. This is where it becomes like bowling. Please, I beg you, somebody put that on Facebook. 
Because <laughs> what we do is we pick up each one of these acts and we go, okay, sexual immorality. <sighs> Got to get rid of that one. I now have 16 minutes of putting sexual morality to death. Let's see how much farther I can go. And then we spend our lives continuing to battle this issue. I'm not encouraging you not to battle it, but do you know how long the list gets? Helpful. This is helpful. You see what Paul does here? He summarizes. I love when people summarize, which is idolatry. Those things, which is idolatry. Simple translation, we call things gods that are not. We make things into gods that aren't gods. The battle is not to figure out how to never screw up again in any one of these areas. The battle is to figure out how to not make things that are not God, God, and actually have God be God of our lives. In other words, to not let these things control us and define our lives. You see, the soul wants what it wants, and it will go after it. Your soul is made where deep needs and deep passions. It, why it says shameful passion. It doesn't say avoid passion. Your soul is made with deep needs and deep passion. The soul wants what it wants and it will go after it. And it will find ways to seek after what it most wants. And what it most wants is a connection with something bigger, more transcendent, and deeper. And if we don't have that, then we will find it in sexual immorality. And you name it. It doesn't matter. You can find it in tiddlywinks. It was a game. I don't actually know how to play it. You can find it in stamps. I mean, you can find it in anything. This is a list. It doesn't matter. You can find it in anything. We make things gods that are not gods. And so we battle for something incredibly hard to achieve that we already have. You already have God. If you've been raised with Christ, then your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You have a connection with God that can't be broken. And so you no longer need other gods. The human soul was made for a connection with God. It was made for that transcendent connection. It is why the, the paintings of Mark Rothko so resonate with me, because what he paints is transcendence. Some of you think he just paints blocks of color. He paints with transcendence, and transcendence resonates. Something bigger, stronger, beyond us. The soul wants what it wants, and it wants transcendence. It wants to experience that which is above and beyond ourselves. And if we don't experience it in the real thing, we will find it almost anywhere. We battle to achieve what we already have at the expense of our own soul. Do you know how hard it is to fill a transcendent void in your life? It's not possible. You see, that's why we so often live our days frustrated and unsatisfied because we're trying to fill something we can't actually even do. And it's already been done. You have a transcendent being who has called you into himself. This is why the power of hope is concrete and anchored. You actually have something that cannot be lost that can sustain your life. And so I no longer need, it's not, it's not that I'm no longer, uh, 
I'm sorry, this one drives me crazy. There is a sense when people become Christians as if all of our desires which are wrong will somehow fade away. Not true. <laughs> Certainly not my experience. It's not true. And so we spend our days trying to battle back desires and passions. If I can just kill these desires off, no, kill off the pursuit of the ineffective, flawed, fallen, and impossible ways to achieve the actual thing that we want. If you've been raised with Christ, seek Him, because that's where your life is found. All these other things are just imposters. And those imposters will use you. See, I can, um, I can tell, let's say one of my students comes to me, theoretical. One of my students at Queens comes to me and tells me about the life that they're living. And it's not, shall we say, pristine at the moment. I can tell them they ought not do that. It means nothing. Nothing. Because the soul wants what it wants. They are only seeking to find what their heart most wants. Christianity is not the killing off of bad things. It's the replacement of the false and the ineffective, which is of the true and the transcendent. So, Paul says is, look, focus. Your life is scattered among things that you cannot achieve, but that you actually are trying to resonate something. Instead, there is a place of focus for your mind and for your heart. Secondly, then he says, in verse 8, but now put off all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its practices and have been clothed with the new man that is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. Here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Again, Verse 8, we get a list of things. You can start checking these off. These are your actions. These are your character flaws that you need to start getting rid of. Anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language, and lying. Once again, it becomes this mind-numbing list of things that I need to stop doing. No more anger, no more rage. And so what we're calling for is good spiritual Christian suppression. Take those emotions that you feel and just stamp them down. Cover them over, lock them away. They will never, never erupt. Just stop being angry, okay? No more anger, no more malice, no more rage, no more lying. Done. See, the question is, why do we do these things? Why, why, why? Why do we do these things? Because we're still trying to find something we already have. The rest of the passage is the clue. Here, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, etc., etc. We differentiate and mark ourselves in ways that God doesn't. And so, we bring rage and malice 
and lies to bear on our relationships with others because we are, sent, we are attempting to differentiate ourselves from them. We are attempting to mark ourselves as somehow superior or just different than someone else. And so when our position, our hopes, our dreams, our wants are thwarted, it leads to rage, anger, malice, lies, because the heart wants what it wants. And one of the things it wants is to be okay, valuable, worthwhile. We battle We battle the human dignity around us in order to somehow gain an upper hand and to feel good about our own lives. And in so doing, we cause damage to the world around us. Why is it so difficult to love other people? That's, that's a, by the way, I think that's a hard question. Why is it so difficult to love other people? We know we're supposed to. We know Jesus did. If Jesus did, we should do it too. Why is it so difficult to love other people? Because in the end, we feel like something still needs to happen for us, and we fear, we fear desperately. If somebody else gets too much, if somebody else gets raised too high, then we are not okay as we are. There is, I've told you about this book, fascinating book called Lost in the Cosmos by Walker Percy. It's a fake self-help book. But one of the things he asks, he asks this illustration. This is how the illustration goes. It's a, it's, a, it's a series of, it's like a quiz, but it's not a quiz. Anyway, he asks this question. So, imagine, there's your neighbor. I'm going to paraphrase, uh, as opposed to read verbatim. Imagine your neighbor. Your neighbor is wealthy, successful, has a beautiful wife, and now just got a promotion. How do you feel? Are you happy for him? Putatively happy for him, which means I'm supposed to be happy for him, and so I'm pretending. Or are you unhappy? If not happy for him. After all, he's a fine human being and a nice guy and has never done anything bad to you. Why are you not happy for him? Then it asks this, then you have to go check one. Then it asks this question, your neighbor, who is a nice guy, married to a beautiful wife, has a lovely house and job and just got a promotion, is just killed in a tragic accident. How do you feel? Happy. Sad. Putatively sad which means I know I'm supposed to feel sad, but something within me doesn't. Think about it. Why in the world would we ever be unhappy that someone else does well? And let's just be honest. I mean, you're in a room. You don't have to say it out loud. But there's that part of our human nature that is just a little bit happy when somebody doesn't get what we want. Why? Because we're not sure we're okay. We're not sure that we have enough now. And somehow we believe that the way that we can be enough, feel good about ourselves, if we can just be one step above or different than other people. And so we mark and differentiate ourselves in ways that God, that God does not. And Lord, does that take a lot of time and energy. As we spend our lives not simply focused 
on what is good and what we want out of life and what God calls us to, but having to care about everybody else, not in the way about caring for them, but having to care about what happens to them to make sure that we still are okay, that our position has not been lost. This is exhausting. And the focus of this passage and what Paul wants us to get is, look, I, I don't want you to try to start being better people. That is not the power of hope. I want you to realize you're trying to get things that have already been done. You're okay. Your soul is well. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've asked him to forgive you, then you have a relationship with him that can never be lost. He looks at you and considers you so valuable that he gave his life for you. He promises that you are extraordinary enough that he will walk alongside you every day of your life. He promises you that he made you with unique gifts that will impact the world around you. And so you no longer need to differentiate yourself and mark yourself against other people in ways that he doesn't because already right now he has marked you as extraordinary. You no longer need to spend your life and your focus trying somehow to find the transcendent in things that quite simply are not transcendent, but rather you can raise your eyes to that which actually matters. In short, Christianity is simple, and we make it very complicated. Focus on the reality of the simple truth that God says about you. Find your life in them. You live entirely differently. Think what it would mean if we no longer had a soul that continued to be thirsty and hungry and somehow had to be fed and never quite got fed. Think of what that would do with our time and our days. Think of what it would mean if I did not have to look at others and wonder whether or not they were somehow getting a leg up, a step up, had something that I didn't have. Think of what that would do for my time and my life and my soul if I no longer had to battle for that. Think if all of those things were gone. So Paul says, put it to death. Why? It, it's fake. It's false. It doesn't matter. Turn your eyes where your life actually is. Hidden with Christ in God. You have a hope. A solid, concrete thing. It is the reality of a connection with God that can never be lost. A promise of purpose if you simply live out of who you are. And the assurance that your soul will be satisfied as you seek Him. That's why you put to death all those other things. See, when that happens when we finally are able to realize not that I need to stop being a bad person, but that I have things for me in Christ that allow me to walk away from the false and the fatal and the futile and other F words. When we're finally able to do that, we live these streamlined, powerful lives that can allow us to live for what matters. What if I didn't have to live for what didn't matter? What if I no longer had to worry about that? Then I can spend my days finding what's really good. A couple of things, and there are not many. When it comes to ultimate things, there are precious few. I can spend my days finding those couple of things that actually matter. 
and pouring my life into that. Next week, we're going to explore in more detail what those things are. This is what I want you to do this week. This week, I want you to make this your make this your project. Take three words that are put to death. I want you to, I'm asking you, you don't have to do this. This is my suggestion. You spend this week and you walk through and ask yourself the question, what things am I making God that are not? How am I seeking to differentiate and mark myself in relationship with others in ways that God never does? You see, when we see what those things are, that's what we know to walk away from. Take those things, view them like so much rubbish, and ask God to free you to keep your eyes focused, not on those things, but on Him. Let's pray.